turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Congress passes Kevin McCarthy's debt ceiling proposal, and now it heads to the Senate. The president can no longer put this economy in jeopardy. We lifted the debt limit. Disney sues Ron DeSantis while some state Democrats try to make Florida's actions against the board unenforceable. Disney might need to fill out an in-kind contribution form with the Federal Election Commission for doing this. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm aims to make the military adopt all electric energy in just a few years. When they see our our fascination with climate change, they know that they can use that as leverage over us. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, April 27th. I'm Mike Scott. On Wednesday, House Republicans gave Speaker Kevin McCarthy what is most likely the biggest win of his tenure leading the chamber so far by passing a bill to raise the debt ceiling and slash spending. This, after many political pundits questioned whether or not the Speaker could even get it done. The House has just passed House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's bill to raise the debt ceiling with spending cuts. The bill passed very tight vote, 217 to 215. House Republicans made changes to that legislation early this morning, very early this morning, to win over holdouts within their own conference. Multiple Republican lawmakers said they were previously opposed to the plan. Well, they changed their minds. The bill passed in a narrow 217 to 215 vote. Every Democrat voted against it, as expected, along with four Republicans. Andy Biggs of Arizona, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, Ken Buck of Colorado, and Matt Gates of Florida. With the passage of the Limit Save Grow Act, Republicans are now in the catbird seat for negotiations on the debt ceiling going forward. On Tuesday, some tweaks to the bill had to be made to ensure the backing of critical Republican lawmakers. Those changes included softening the repeal of the biofuel tax credits and moving the legislation's planned activation of work requirements for federal benefits from 2025 to 2024. House Speaker McCarthy outlines what the passage of the Limit, Save, Grow Act will do. It lifts the debt limit, ends wasteful Washington spending, and puts America back on the right economic path. That we're going to limit the growth in the future. We're going to save by pulling back this unspent COVID money. We're going to grow this economy by making us energy independent again and getting more people, encouraging them back to work. The sad part here is now the Democrats need to do their job. McCarthy then challenged Senate Democrats to put forward their own debt ceiling bill if they don't like the one put forth by House Republicans. Senator Schumer, if he thinks he's got a plan, put it on the floor. See if you can pass it. 
and then we can go to conference. But now, the president can no longer put this economy in jeopardy. We lifted the debt limit. We've sent it to the Senate. We've done our job, the only body in here that's done theirs. The Senate, I got to give them credit. They did name March Maple Syrup Month, and they have thanked UConn and congratulated them for their basketball win. But they've done nothing when it comes to the economy or the debt limit. Republican Representative Bob Good of Virginia says that the bill would put America back on the right track economically. We'll show the American people that Republicans in the House can do our job uh, to uh, raise the debt ceiling in a responsible way, but to do that in a way that, again, cuts spending by about a trillion dollars in the immediacy and has about five trillion dollars worth of spending cuts over time. And this is just our first bite at the apple. We've changed the narrative. It's not if we're cutting, but how much we're cut- cutting. And, and it's not you know, whether or not uh, uh, Republicans will do the right thing. It's just how we're going to do it, what the best strategy is to put us on a path to fiscal responsibility. And today's a Big step. The Virginia Republican lays out details of what is actually in the Limit Save Grow Act. Look at what we're doing here. We're cutting non-defense discretionary spending back to pre-COVID levels. What American wouldn't think that we ought to go to pre-COVID spending before the emergency ramped up spending to record levels? We're rescinding the student loan transfer scheme. We're not making hardworking blue-collar Americans pay for other people's student loans. We're rescinding the expansion of the IRS, which uh, almost no American says, hey, we need more IRS agents. We're cutting the uh, harmful, wasteful hundreds of billions of dollars in climate environmentalism uh, policies that are in the Inflation Increase Act. While Good is happy about the bill's passage, he does believe that there is still a lot of work to be done in order to get a handle on U.S. debt. We're reining in the uh, regulatory state with the RAINS Act, which would require a vote of Congress for every meaningful, large uh, rule or regulation that comes out of the bureaucratic state. Most Americans want their elected representatives to make those decisions. We're returning to American energy independence again, reigniting affordable, reliable energy. Those are policies that most Americans agree with. Democrats will have a hard time defending votes against those. But more importantly, it's in a responsible way that increases the debt ceiling uh, and modest by Washington standards with $1.5 trillion. Uh, it, again, is just one step. I don't think it's a cause for celebration, but it's a cause to be encouraged that members of Congress are doing something historic. We haven't had meaningful spending reforms like this and cuts in decades. Meanwhile, the bill is looking at an uphill battle in the Senate, and President Biden has already promised a veto should that bill make it to his desk. President Biden says he's delivering a blunt warning to North Korea. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Clugston has more on this story from Capitol Hill. During a White House visit by South Korea's president, Mr. Biden spoke directly about North Korea's persistent nuclear threat. Nuclear attack by North Korea against the United States or its allies or partisans, partners, is unacceptable and will result in the end of whatever regime were to take such an action. The two leaders reached a new defense agreement that includes plans to dock U.S. nuclear-armed submarines in South Korea for the first time in over 40 years. Greg Clugston, Washington. Welcome to Round 4, the battle between Disney and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The battle entered a new phase Wednesday when the House of Mouse leveled a lawsuit at DeSantis over the Republican takeover of some of the theme park's special legislative district. 
The feud that started with Disney's opposition to what critics call the Don't Say Gay Bill last year, now heading to federal court. The company filed a legal challenge Wednesday alleging the governor and state officials were part of a, quote, targeted campaign of government retaliation. It's after lawmakers approved a takeover of Disney's special district earlier this year, putting in place his state board to oversee the about 40 square miles of land around the Orlando theme parks. Disney says the governor and new board violated First Amendment rights and contracts it signed with the district's old board, Reedy Creek, to maintain power. Quote, in America, the government cannot punish you for speaking your mind, reads the lawsuit. The lawsuit arrives as lawmakers inch closer to sending the governor a new Disney bill to reinforce the state board has authority over the district. DeSantis released a statement through his spokesperson saying, we are unaware of any legal right that a company has to operate its own government or maintain special privileges not held by other businesses in the state. The lawsuit is yet another unfortunate example of Disney's hope to undermine the will of Florida voters and operate outside the bounds of the law, end quote. However, Democrat State Senator Linda Stewart is excited about the news and says that, in her opinion, it's about time Disney hit back. I'm very excited because I think they should have done it. A long time ago. However, Republican State Representative Fred Hawkins believes that this is a fight that DeSantis will ultimately win. The governor's not going to give up to, to what I know and understand. I'm not speaking for him, but um, Disney will lose this fight. The special district was created by the legislature. The legislature can take it away and doesn't need to have a reason. Leland Vinnard of News Nation says that some of his Republican sources tell him that Disney is giving DeSantis a boost should he ultimately decide to throw his hat in the ring for 2024. It certainly elevated Ron DeSantis a couple of months ago in the in the conversation, especially uh, in terms of uh, his bona fides for, ta- for taking on uh, the woke corporations. And, and this is what Ron DeSantis is once uh, as as his legacy and as his persona going into the 2024 election. Uh, now, the, the, will it help him? Will it hurt him? That's really for the voters to decide. And I think it's interesting when we put up the polling, and I saw you did with the Reuters polling about right. uh, some Republicans think this is a good form or bad form, whatever, is that it's very, very particular in how you ask the question specifically uh, in terms of this. The, the joke that I had heard uh, today among Republican sources that I've talked to uh, is that Disney might need to fill out an in-kind contribution form with the Federal Election Commission for doing this. In that, 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 that the the fact that Ron DeSantis can now be on the tip of every uh, everybody's tongue and is is now part of the ether uh, for taking on Disney and fighting Disney so much that Disney is suing him uh, in a lot of Republican circles that will be seen as a badge of honor. While Vinner does admit that the Republican Party of times past was not so eager to use the force of government on business, he points out that today's Republican Party is different from the party of the past. The, the, the state prison thing, I think everybody thought, didn't really make sense because it seemed as though he was trying to go uh, almost Trumpian, but not quite all the way there. A, a Trump version of that would have been, I am building a state prison. DeSantis just kind of joked about it, which, which didn't really work out uh, very well. Look, you make a great point in terms of Republicans being pro-business. The Republican Party of today is very different. Uh, than the Republican Party of, say, George W. Bush. The Disney lawsuit asks a federal judge 
to void the governor's takeover of the theme park district, as well as the DeSantis Oversight Board's actions on the grounds that they were violations of the company's free speech rights. The lawsuit claims that DeSantis is engaging in, quote, a targeted campaign of government retaliation, orchestrated at every step by Governor DeSantis as a punishment for Disney's protected speech, now threatens Disney's business operations, jeopardizes its economic future in the region, and violates its constitutional rights, end quote. A bipartisan bill in the Senate would force the Supreme Court to adopt and make public a code of ethical conduct for justices. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew is on Capitol Hill and has more on this developing story. The bill, known as the Supreme Court Code of Conduct Act, is sponsored by Independent Angus King of Maine and Alaska Republican Lisa Murkowski. Senator King calls it, quote, a common-sense step to restore and maintain faith in the high court by requiring the creation of consistent, transparent rules. It appears unlikely the bill will pass muster with some conservative Republicans. Many see its inception, criticism of Justice Clarence Thomas, as a partisan effort to smear the conservative majority court. Bob Agnew, Capitol Hill. Many military experts are questioning Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm's assertion that the Biden administration plans to electrify the Department of Defense's non-tactical vehicle fleet by 2030. Do you support the military adopting that EV fleet by 2030? I do, and I think we can get there as well. And I do think that reducing our reliance on the volatility of globally traded fossil fuels, where we know that global events such as the war in Ukraine can jack up prices for people back home, It uh, does not contribute to energy security. I think energy security is achieved when we have homegrown clean energy that is abundant, like you see Mm -hmm. in Iowa. We think that we can uh, be a leader globally in how we have become energy independent. Several critics are wondering if the move is the right one with so many global threats from Russia to China and believe that reliance on untested electric military vehicles may impact troop combat readiness. Last June, Senate Democrats introduced a bill that would require at least 75% of all non-tactical vehicles purchased or leased by the military be all-electric or zero-emission vehicles made in America. Democrat John Garamendi of California says that the only vehicles that will be impacted by the measure are non-combat vehicles. The specific issue that is in the law, and by the way, I wrote it, is in the law is the non-tactical vehicles on the base. These are not the these are not the vehicles that are used in war. These are the vehicles that operate on the base. To the extent that they are electric, you're moving away from the carbon-based fuels. However, John Bolton, the former UN ambassador, says... It's not a good idea. It's the same kind of obsession with this fantasy that they're going to have a carbon-free economy uh, in in the foreseeable future. It's not going to happen. Actually, surveys show most Americans don't want to buy electric cars. Some do, especially with heavy government subsidies. But I do think it's the obsession, the Biden administration obsession with climate change and the role they see 
China playing in it because of the emissions from Chinese industries, that they're just blind to the consequences. In this case, I, I would say national security consequences of putting our transportation system uh, in dependence on batteries or other supply chain commodities coming from China. But you can't reason with them because the climate change thing has theological significance to them. Bolton goes on to say that he believes China is laughing at the Biden administration's fixation on green energy. No, they're, they're roaring with laughter over this. This is the kind of naivete that, uh, that really damages America over the long term. The, the nature of the Chinese threat uh, we still don't fully understand. We see pieces of evidence of the Chinese threat. Uh, you see it over and over again in the economic sphere where they've, they've, uh, they've pursued a mercantilist foreign policy very successfully in the World Trade Organization. They've been stealing American intellectual property for decades and European and Japanese intellectual property. All of this is, uh, we, we see these bits and pieces. We need to connect it and understand this is really not just a whole of government Chinese effort against us, but a whole of society Chinese effort against us. And, and when they see our, our fascination with climate change, they know that they can use that as leverage over us. And with th this administration, that's exactly what they're doing. The U.S. Army is currently committed to electrifying its light-duty, non-tactical vehicle fleet by 2027 with hybrids bridging the gap to full electrification by 2035. That is according to the Army's 2022 climate strategy. Banking jitters continue to royal Wall Street. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason is keeping an eye on the markets and has the very latest on the nervous banking sector. First Republic Bank plunged at Wednesday's opening bell, an ongoing route that has erased more than 50% of its value just this week on concerns about the bank's financial health in the wake of two other bank failures. Shares slumped 26% Wednesday, following an even more severe tumble the previous day, after it revealed that depositors withdrew more than $10 billion last month following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Rich Thomason reporting. A Japanese company's spacecraft apparently crashed while attempting to land on the moon Wednesday, losing contact just moments before touchdown and sending flight controllers scrambling to figure out what happened. We get more on this developing story from our Daybreak insider, Lisa Dwyer. A Japanese company's spacecraft apparently crashed while attempting to land on the moon. Flight controllers lost contact with the lander after it descended from lunar orbit while aiming for the surface. More than six hours later, the company said there was a high probability that the lander had slammed into the moon. If all had gone well, the company would have been the first private business to pull off a lunar landing. Only three governments have successfully landed on the moon, Russia, the United States, and China. I'm Lisa Dwyer. And finally... There's a new Barbie in town. Mattel unveiled its first Barbie doll representing a person with Down syndrome. She is 64 years old, but Barbie is still breaking those barriers. And Mattel just introduced a new Barbie with Down syndrome in the company's latest effort to make the dolls more inclusive. Yeah, Mattel says it worked closely with experts to make sure the doll accurately represents the physical characteristics often associated with the genetic condition. 
collaborating with the National Down Syndrome Society in order to accurately create features that represent a person with Down Syndrome. The design also features clothing with the colors associated with Down Syndrome awareness and accessories that also represent the genetic condition. In addition, Barbie wears ankle foot orthotics, which some children with Down syndrome use. Ellie Goldstein is a model with Down syndrome and says she couldn't be happier with the doll. I love it. What do you think? Nice, yeah. What do you like about it? Um, The hair and the clothes. Goldstein relates her first impressions on seeing the new Barbie. Now, when I first saw the Barbie, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> um, a bit overwhelmed. Um, let's say, like, thrilled and, like, yeah, you know. Candy Pickard is president and CEO of the National Down Syndrome Society, and she says that the Downs community is overjoyed by the addition that the doll has already sold out online as well. Overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Overwhelming. I mean, I think our community is thrilled with the with Mattel. I mean, we've been asking for a Barbie with Down syndrome for many, many years. And so to be heard and to be represented, we're so thankful to Mattel and to Barbie for doing this for our community. When can people get one of these dolls? They were available online yesterday. I believe we sold them Woo! out. Um, so hopefully wow. they'll be replenished soon. But I know that they will be in major retailers at the end of uh, the summer and fall. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Down syndrome is the most common chromosomal condition diagnosed in the U.S. today. About 6,000 babies are born across the country each year with Down syndrome. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.